In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the sixth Sunday of Epiphany, and we are continuing in our contemplation of how the Lord makes himself known to us. Sometimes we want the Lord to make himself known to us, to reveal himself, and uh, to be firm in that knowledge and in that belief of the Lord. And then once he's revealed himself and made uh, himself fully known so that uh, there's a certainty to what it is that he wants us to do, then we would be willing to trust and to act and maybe even to hope. But that isn't the way that the Lord works and it's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that the Lord reveals himself and tells us what to do. And it's in our trust, in our action, in our following, that we gain that hope and finally that full understanding and belief in faith. Faith comes in action and in obedience. That seems to be what uh, the prophet Jeremiah is teaching us here today in chapter 17. Uh, He is uh, focusing upon what it means to trust in the Lord, which is another way of saying to be obedient. Trust is always about action. Uh, Sometimes in the modern world, in a modern understanding, post-enlightenment, we like to think about um, ideas as somehow separate from action. And many times we talk about trust as being an idea that we have in our head, a concept that we have, or a way that we talk about things. And that really isn't trust at all. Trust is obedience and action. When we trust something, it means that we're actually doing something and we're showing our trust. When we trust a bridge, when we trust our cars, when we trust one another, that's an action and obedience and the way that we live our lives. This is what the prophet uh, Jeremiah is talking about when he says that we need to trust in the Lord. He's saying that we need to live our lives in obedience to God. And how do we do that? He makes this beautiful analogy between shrubs and trees. Between shrubs and trees. And he says that a shrub is in a desert place where it's dry and uh, where it's not going to bear fruit. But a tree that's planted by water is going to be evergreen and it's going to be constantly bearing fruit. A tree that's by a riverbank where it has that constant flow of water for its roots. And so that river, of course, we see it over and over again is an analogy for us of the Holy Spirit. When we're in the Holy Spirit, when our roots are planted deep into the Holy Spirit, when we're drinking up the Spirit every day, then we have the resources that we need, we have the courage that we need to be bold in action. We have a clarity of mind so that we're focused upon the Spirit, we're listening to the Word of God, we have a clarity about what it is that we're supposed to do, and we have a a boldness and a courage to act. And when we act, when we use what the Holy Spirit gives us, when we actually put into to use the power and dynamism of the Holy Spirit and we're obedient, that is the fruit that comes forth. And of course, those fruits of the Spirit are self-control and patience and loving kindness and, and all of those things that we know are fruit-bearing uh, ways that we live our lives. So the prophet Jeremiah says that if we trust in the Lord, if we trust in the Lord, then we'll be like a tree. It means that we're rooted in the Holy Spirit. We're receiving that grace from God. If we don't do that, he compares this to a shrub that trusts in its own heart. 
And this is a very interesting thing because, again, in in our contemporary world and culture, there is a a great push to trust in one's own heart, right? To to look to your heart, to to act upon your heart. And the prophets and the scriptures make really clear for us how it is that we're supposed to understand the heart. They say the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. This is not what the world teaches about the heart, right? When people say, follow your heart, they're not saying, follow your heart because it's desperately sick right? Uh, But this is what we know about our own hearts. We know that our hearts are fickle, that our hearts can change, um, that our hearts can be, um, you know, focused upon ourselves and not upon others. Of course, the Holy Spirit would change our hearts and our minds, uh, but that is always being tested, right? We're never trusting in our heart. We're constantly testing our heart. We're constantly testing our minds. We're constantly comparing our thoughts and feelings and actions to the Word of God, and we're constantly bringing it before the faithful group of believers to say, you know, is my heart in the right place? Um, Are my actions according to the, the heart of God and to His will? We're constantly trusting in the Lord and leaning upon Him and comparing ourselves, uh, judging ourselves, aligning ourselves with the Lord and with His ways. So Jeremiah has these, uh, the, the simple analogy of the tree that bears fruit because it's rooted in the Spirit and the shrub that is dry. And of course, he ends by saying that the Lord is going to test that fruit. He's going to test that fruit in the last day. And of course, we know that the Lord will um, test us or judge us at our death. And then at the final judgment, at the end of all things, he finally judges and separates. And then he is going to, what the scriptures say, give to each according to their ways. Gulp. Isn't that one of those scriptures where, uh, you know, our lector finishes and we hear you're going to get what you deserve and then we have to say, thanks be to God. And you say, you're all going to get what you deserve. Thanks be to God. Right? We should be responding to that with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. And that is the same message that our Lord and Savior gives here in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is uh, very much a parallel in many ways to Matthew chapter 5 to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But uh, here in Luke chapter 6 we have the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Flat Place. And when he gives the Sermon on the Flat Place, it's kind of a a summary. It's the high points of what we hear more fully explained in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Plain, he is giving us a, a, a quick overview of the condition of our hearts, the condition that our hearts need to be in as we are rooted into the Holy Spirit. And he does the same thing where Jeremiah gives us the tree and the shrub. The Lord gives us the blesseds and the woes. And so he's comparing these two conditions of the heart. Let's look uh, very carefully at Luke chapter 6, verse 20. He gives us uh, three blesseds. And this is, uh, again, very similar to the pattern in Matthew chapter 5, where the Lord gives us seven beatitudes, and then he gives us a a consequence, right? What's going to happen if you follow those? Here he gives us three, and then he gives us a consequence. So uh, the first is uh, to be poor. Verse 21, the second is to be hungry now. Uh, Again in 21, the third is to weep now. 
And then in 22, you'll see where it says, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. That is a consequence. That isn't a fourth blessed. That's the result of the first three. If we're poor and hungry and weep, then the result will be people will hate us and revile us. Yay! Isn't that exciting? That's the consequence. So what does he mean by poor? Does that mean we just don't have a lot of money? The scriptures are clear that that's not the case. That um, we don't in the scriptures have this understanding that poor people are good and rich people are bad. That simply isn't what we read in the scriptures. Rather, this is talking about a poverty of spirit. And that's what we read in Matthew chapter 5, the poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to say, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough heart. I don't have enough understanding. I don't have enough um, within myself to do the things that the Lord has given me to do. That's why my roots are going deep. That's why I'm drinking from the Spirit every day. If I thought I was enough, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be drinking from that power every day. So it's just to recognize that I need the Lord. I need His Spirit every day. I need to be in His Word every day. I need to pray every day because I am not enough and I need the Lord's help. And he says the result for that is that ours is the kingdom of God. So this is a present tense, and this I think is very important. When we are in the Spirit of God, when we're in the Word, when we're in Christ, we are in the kingdom, because Christ has established his kingdom. So when we're in the Spirit, when we're in Christ, we are dwelling with him in his kingdom right now. Right? His kingdom has been established. Jesus says, my kingdom is at hand. My kingdom is within you. Right? He's saying the kingdom has been established and we can live in that right here and right now. And we can do that when we recognize that need. The second is very much like it, when you're hungry now. And, and what is this hunger? The hunger is for the righteousness of God. The hunger that we have to have is a deep desire for the things of God. And this is an attitude of the heart that is so important, and we all know it. We all know the difference between doing what we're supposed to do because we have to do it, because we've kind of been forced into doing it, um, and doing it because of a desire to do it. And, and that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Somebody who does their job out of a love and out of a zealousness because of how passionate they are for that work, that is so different from the person that is doing it because they're kind of pushed and shoved and put into a corner. So what we have to do is not only to perceive the things of God, to perceive his ways, but then we need to hunger and thirst for them. We have to desire the ways of God. We have to desire his, his ways in our lives. And then the result of that is you shall be satisfied. And now we're getting this separation between the here and now, what we're going to experience here and now, versus the reward that we're going to get at the second coming. And this is starting to point now to the second coming and to the resurrection of the dead. When the dead arise, when we get those new resurrected bodies, then we will be satisfied. And this is a very important question and contemplation for the church that we could just spend, you know, weeks and months talking about. Because sometimes we're given this understanding that as soon as we die, we're in heaven and all things are satisfied. And yet we see in those glimpses of heaven that the, the souls of the martyrs are crying out for justice in the, the throne room of God. That those who are the saints are calling out for justice 
So those that are in heaven, those that are with the Lord now, are not fully satisfied. They're calling out for justice. They're calling out for for those that are here in the the kingdom of God uh, on earth, those in the church militant, if you will. uh, They're with us, right? There isn't us suffering and then those in heaven in total bliss because we are in the kingdom of God. So there is this understanding that those who are with God in heaven are still uh, understanding and with us in our suffering and crying out for justice and for an end to all things that Christ would come again. And we see that uh, as well in our third blessed. Blessed are you who weep now. That weeping is uh, about many things, primarily about our own sins. We have to weep for our own sins we have to recognize our failings and we have to be convicted in them another wonderful thing to look forward to as a christian right that we would recognize here's god and here's me and that distance is heartbreaking and when we are able to truly weep over our own sins the really beautiful thing that happens is we begin to be able to weep over the sins of others and that's transformative When we weep over the sins of those around us, all condemnation and judgment washes away. And we're able to grieve over those who are sinning around us. When we can look at the person who is stealing from us, or the person that cuts us off, or the person that calls us names, or bullies us, or we can look at that that foreign power, or that foreign person, and we can weep over their sins in the same way that we weep over ours, with a true desire for their salvation, it changes the way that we see ourselves in the world. And so when we weep for our sins and those of others, again, we will be able to laugh. We're not going to laugh now. We won't be able to laugh as long as people are still in their sins. And this is why the Lord says he's pushing his second coming back. Because his desire is for all weep and to turn to him. He will not be satisfied until everyone has a chance. Until everyone has a chance to turn from their sins and turn to him. And so we have nothing to laugh for as long as we are weeping over those sins. But a time will come when Christ comes again and all flesh is resurrected when we will be able to laugh. Because then sin will be ended. Evil will be ended. And he will reign forevermore in glory. The blessing, then, is, again, that we'll be hated and reviled. And there's one way, I think, of looking at the Christian life to say, if we're doing it right, people should be objecting to us. Right? If we're living the Christian life, people ought to be saying, who are you to turn away from your sins? Who are you to to say that the way I'm living isn't right? Right? We don't even have to use words if we just simply, in a group of people, say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut over injustice. I'm not going to just pass over sin. I'm not going to just go along to get along. I'm going to stand for what's right. That will be convicting for the people around us, and it's not pleasant to stand up for what's right in a group that is bent on doing what's wrong. And so we will be hated, just as Jeremiah was, and they did so much to try to end him and his life as they did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, the reward that we are going to expect for that is in heaven. The reward that we're going to expect for that is in the resurrection. And this takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where um, St. Paul continues what we had heard last week 
It is uh, showing for us that this trust in the Lord, the trust in doing uh, what is right, the trust in being obedient to him has got to be linked with hope. We can't have one without the other. We can't hope without acting in trust, right? Because then it's just wishful thinking. For us to truly hope for the things of God, we've got to be acting out of trust. And the only way that we're really going to get the courage to act on the things of God and trust is to truly hope for the things of God. So we can't have one without the other. St. Paul, you remember just before this passage had told us uh, very simply the statement of faith, right? You remember that he says Christ has died, uh, Christ has risen, Christ revealed himself in his resurrection, and he's going to come again. And he has this promise of resurrection. This is the promise that St. Paul gives us. It isn't the promise of when you die, you're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be wonderful. The promise is that as Christ was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. So we've got to stop and we've got to say, what is, what is that? What happened to Jesus when he was resurrected? What happened with that resurrected body? Do you remember that with that resurrected body, he met with his friends and he ate? Do you remember that he met with his resurrected friends and he walked with them? That he talked with them? Do you remember with that resurrected body that he was able to, uh, to be held by them and touched by them? That's our hope. Our hope isn't that we're going to be spirits someplace else up there. Our hope is that with those that we love... That with the family of God, that with our Lord, we will be in our bodies and able to touch and able to hold and able to share fellowship and food, able to live the life that we are only getting a glimpse of now, a life that we know to be beautiful, but that we've only seen a shadow of the true life with true bodies and the true creation and its true beauty is still so far beyond our grasp and understanding that it's only with resurrected bodies with Christ as the first fruits that we will begin to truly live in that resurrection. And that is our hope. That is our hope. And it's with that hope that we can stand up against tyrants. Without that, the tyrant wins. Because the threat of death, the threat of punishment, the threat of pain is too great. It's too great if you think that this is all that we have. Or even if you think that we're going to have some disembodied spiritual experience far away. But if we have true hope and trust in the resurrection, and we know that the beauty of that life is coming, and that that kingdom is at hand, then we will have the boldness and the courage to stand up for righteousness and for truth and for the ways of the kingdom of God. But the only way to do it today is to let those roots go deep and to drink from the Spirit every moment of every day. And when we do that, fruit will be born and we will live lives that are evergreen.